Mac Power Users, episode 187, Word Processing. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hey, Katie Floyd, how are you doing? I'm good, David. How are you? I'm okay, but I think I'm coming down with a little bit of a cold. Can you hear it in my voice? Not too I bad. Can. Not too really? bad. Really? Okay. Well, hopefully it's not going to be a big problem. But uh, I wanted to go to word processing, because we've talked so much about text editors over the last few years. Um, word processing has kind of fell by the wayside. And... Maybe there's a reason for that. That's you know kind of the first thing I got thinking when I started doing the outline is, are word processors even relevant anymore? Well, but, I think they are, but I'll tell you that I am certainly using word processing less. But with the exception of the things that I do for the day job, I don't use a word processor all that often. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, in our day jobs, you and I are in the practice of writing documents that get printed on paper and sent to people. And that's that's what a word processor is for. Um, uh, the last few years, it's been very attractive for me to get involved with using text editors and simple text because, uh, number one, that's kind of my thing. But also, I just love the portability of it. Um, in fact, I think I attribute a lot of this to the iPad because I really wanted immediately when I had the iPad to be able to seamlessly work on stuff on both platforms. And the word processors really weren't very good at it, even though we had pages at the beginning. But um, this is not going to be an episode about text editors. It's not going to be an episode about things like Scrivener, which really fit in an entirely different category. And it's not going to be about distraction for your writing. We're going to talk about all the bells and whistles and the applications that people are currently using to, to write up a document to be printed. And there are some, there's some good options with that. And we've had some recent developments with Microsoft now showing up on the iPad. So I guess we should just dig in, right? Yeah. Well, before we talk about the 800-pound gorilla in the room that is Microsoft, let's talk a little bit about Apple Pages, because Pages is an application that I, I really wanted to use, I wanted to like, and I got into it more, and then Apple did this update to Pages, and they got a lot of flack about that, but now they seem to be coming back around to it. So Pages has certainly been something that has been talked about an awful lot in the Mac community, and it, it looks like Apple is... is I want to say maybe doubling down on pages, and, and I was skeptical about that initially because they stripped some features out, but then it kind of came out, well, you know, Apple had a really good reason for doing that is because they wanted to bring some parity between the iOS and the Mac apps to make them sync more seamlessly and, and, and essentially be the same type of product, and, and now with the most recent update that we just got a couple of weeks ago for pages – we're starting to see some love. We're starting to see AppleScript heading back in, and, and uh, Serenity Caldwell just wrote an article for Macworld recently about, and I don't know if you've had a chance to play with any of this, um, how more EPUB support is coming back into Pages. So I definitely think that Pages is, is very much on Apple's radar, and it's a product that they're going to continue to work on, and it's a product that's going to continue to mature, even though it had a little bit of a reset. Well, it's definitely the whipping boy right now in the tech press this is the whole iWork suite because what Apple did is they had developed this software over some time. And of course it started out on the Mac. In fact, when it started, there was no such thing as an iPad and iPhone. If memory serves, Correct. I'm pretty sure this predates at least keynote predates the iPhone. Well, remember pages. there was the iWork suite that you could buy for $79. Yeah. I, I bought it several times. And, but I remember when the iWork suite was keynote and pages. Well, I think, I think there was always numbers. 
I think it was always no, with they, three. No, I think they added it later. Mm, someone's going to write it and tell you you're wrong. Okay, well, maybe they will. And if, if they write if it, it and tell me I'm wrong, I'm going to delete it so we don't see it. Okay, well, either way, that's a win-win, as we say in the business. <laughs> okay. Um, but either way, so so we had the suite, and it was developed for Mac. And and I thought the idea behind the iWork suite was really a great one, because at some point, and we're going to talk about this later in the show when we get to Word, Microsoft Office went from becoming a productivity tool to becoming this just massive, overwhelming piece of software with so many buttons and dials and things on it that it, it got in the way. I was looking it up. Somebody in our circle coined the term like a jet, a cockpilot of a jet plane, and I don't know who it was, and I wish mm. I remembered. I, rem- I sure remember can- hearing that, but I don't know who did that, yeah. But somebody said, you know, hey, I opened up Word. I wanted to write a letter. I couldn't remember. Maybe it was Merlin. This sounds like something Merlin would say, but I can't imagine him opening Word. <laughs> That's <laughs> but true. Either way, um, somebody had said, you know, they opened up Word, and they wanted to write something, and the screen was just overwhelming. It looked like they were going to, you know, blast off an aircraft carrier or something rather than just write a document. And that was a really good way to summarize it. So we had this thing that was getting overwhelming for years. And we can't – actually, I can't go any further without saying Word 5.1 because everybody listening that is old enough remembers that's when it used to be good. But either way, uh, so we had this problem. And then Apple started showing up with its own version of – of iWorks uh, software. And it seemed like to me, the idea behind it was a really good one. And that was, it seems to me like, like 85% of what word does, you know, we're going to hit, you know, the, the real fat, you know, middle of this stuff where there's the features that everybody wants, you know, um, whether it be footnotes or, you know, just basic word processing stuff. Yeah. And, and Apple right out of the gate made um, really no apologies for the fact that says, look, they didn't shy away from it. Pages will open Word documents, and pages can save to Word documents. It's not going to do it natively. I mean, there was no preference that you could check to say, hey, always save my pages documents as Word documents. But it was pretty easy, and it was pretty right up front in the menu where you could export to a Word doc. So if you needed to open a Word document that somebody sent you, and if you needed to export to a Word doc so you could send it to somebody else, you could do that. Because if you if you were a Mac – do you remember – I'm sure you did, but, you know, I was just talking to one of my law partners today who is getting rid of, and I told him not to buy this, David, but less than a year ago, he bought one of those um, Windows 8 kind of tablet computery thingies. Surface. No, it wasn't a Surface, but it was pre-Surface. You know, it was one of those thingies. And um, he originally bought a Surface and took it back and then just got a, 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 a small laptop. And he is now done with it. He's ready to go get a MacBook Air. And he said, so this is this is going to be everything that I need in this teeny tiny little computer. He, what else do I need to buy with it? And, and I said to him, I said, well, realistically, you, you may need to buy the office suite to go with it too. And then, so that then got us into this whole discussion of, well, it doesn't come with a word processor. Well, what comes on it? Well, what can I do? And, you know, so we, we had this discussion of would pages be enough for his home use? Well, he could open any word document and then he could save something out to a word document, but it was a little bit of a pain. And the conclusion that we ultimately came to is, is if he was using this for a home machine for he and his wife, that would be fine. And I think that's probably the case for most people. It's still the case. Yeah. And I think that was always kind of the intention. Uh, you can use it, though, in your business. I, I have clients and friends that run their businesses off of iWork. And it's missing some of the more power user features that Word has. But a lot of those are features that people just 
don't need. And if you need those features, then you have to go to Word. It's it's kind of a simple calculus. Either you need the feature or you don't. If you don't need the feature, at least traditionally, Pages has been a lot easier to use. It has a better user interface. Um, it's more, you know, it's more Mac friendly. For a long time, you know, the Office suite had trouble, and we're going to talk about that when we get to that later in the outline. But you know, focusing on Pages, it's it's a less powerful solution than Microsoft Word. It's very stable on the Mac. Yeah, it is. Now, um, um, go ahead. Well, then, then I thought I'd talk about what happened last year. Oh, yeah. Okay, so last year, um, well, actually, independently, Apple started developing iWork applications for the iPad and the iPhone. And that was one of the big deals when they announced the iPad is they had all of this stuff, you know, numbers and pages and Keynote already ready to go on the iPad. And I thought that was great and I when think I first saw that. day one they were available, weren't they? And it was like nine ninety nine a piece you could get them? Yeah, I bought them. Now, I was in. Now they're free, I think, but yeah. Yeah, well, and, and so last year... And what happened to do that was they had two different code bases. And I mean, I've talked to people in Apple that have told me this. And so, you know, they had the base that started for iOS and then they had the Mac base, which was much older. And they were trying to make them share a similar file format, but without the same underlying code, it was very difficult. So, And, and there uh, were always certain things that you could do on one and not do on the other. So, for example, if you started a document on Pages for Mac and you brought that over to Pages for iPad, you would occasionally, depending on what you had done with this document, get some conversion warning saying, hey, I, I can't render this, I can't view this, and, and these features aren't, aren't available. And you, you saw that probably more prominently in some of the other apps like Keynote and Numbers, but you saw it in, throughout all the apps. And I think that was very frustrating because you had to stop and think, okay, what fonts can I use that are going to translate okay to the iPad? And, and what effects and what features can I use that are going to translate okay to the iPad? And there was just, it, it was always, at least for me, it was always this mental conversion in my head before I actually went to convert something to the iPad, if that makes sense. And as Apple got better at iCloud and did document sharing, it became more obvious to everybody that uses it that this problem exists. So they started to think, how do we fix these applications? And if you want to add a feature to one, you were going to essentially double your work in order to get it to work on both platforms. And somebody said, you know what we really need to do is we need to break out the dynamite and blow things up and start over and make this on one code base for both platforms, both the Mac and the iOS. <laughs> Apple's never done that before, have they? <laughs> yeah, well, they're actually pretty good at it. And, yeah. and, and so this happened, and I used to be posting about, you know, the long wait for iWork. If you go and read Max Sparky posts back for the last couple of years, I, you know, we were at iWork 2009 up until very recently. Yeah, in fact, I remember for multiple new computers that I would load, I would pull out my iWork CD, and finally I just burned or ripped the CD, you know, to my Magic Install disk, David, and and yeah. and stopped pulling it. But I kept going back to, my, you know, it was multiple computers I went through where I kept saying, seriously, this is the same CD? Okay. And then every time we had another big Apple announcement, whether it be WWDC or the new platform or the new Macs or the new iPads or whatever... There was always a few people that would write in the press about, oh, and by the way, I heard we're going to get an all-new iWork now. And, and David would get so excited. 
Well, it was it was diminishing. It it was like it had a half life. You know, at the beginning, I would get excited because I wanted to see what they were going to do. And you'd get these little you'd get these little hints. Like if you watch an Apple keynote, because I'm such a presentation nerd, I actually pay a lot of attention to the transitions Apple uses in their keynotes. In fact, we're going to have another keynote in a few months for WWDC, and I'll be doing the same thing. And you'll see transitions that don't exist in the current build of Keynote. So you're like, oh, okay, so they're running a new build of Keynote. So that must mean they've got one kicking around over there. And, you know, I'd like that transition on my Keynote. And it, it can't be that far off if they're already using it to make this Keynote. And so I, I deluded myself like that for four years. And, and what really happened during that period was I think the first year or two, they were building the iOS version up. And then the second year or two, they were dynamiting and rebuilding the whole code base for both platforms. And at low, I think it was October of 2013, all of a sudden we get a new iWork. And the people just went crazy. And but now, do you really, do you blame Apple for not telling people what they were doing? Because Apple just released it. Here's the new iWork. Boom. And now to their credit, they released it and said, here's the new iWork. But then when they installed it on your computer, they kept the old iWork in a, in a separate folder that said, here are your old versions of iWork. So unless you went through and deleted them, you still had them and you still had all the features of the previous version of iWork. But People didn't really know. Apple didn't really tell anybody, hey, we're taking away all these features. And people just kind of found out when stuff stopped working. Yeah. It's, I don't know what the right solution to that would be. I mean, they added, when they released the new version, they added collaboration, which which is in the outline I'm going to talk about. But So the, I was quite excited about that because up until the time, Google Docs was really the only collaboration solution worth looking at. And I thought, well, hey, maybe Apple can bring something to this. Uh, but they had they had to break all these features out in order to get this common code base. So, you know, you bring it down to the lowest common denominator and and it looked like it and there were features missing and a lot of people went crazy. In fact, some of our guests and even some of the more recent shows have bemoaned uh, troubles they've had with the new iWork suite. Um, and then Apple shortly after went public and said, hey, we know we've got stuff missing, but we had to do this and we're slowly adding stuff back and we've got a roadmap and we're going to deliver. And as we record this, they've had two major updates to this suite and they have delivered. I mean, we have Apple script back in there now and a lot of the features that people wanted and some of them, which were really basic, like rulers across the screen. I mean, there was no ruler <laughs> in a word processor, you know, uh, but they're bringing them back and it's coming back. I don't know that it's, I mean, I don't know what the, the vision is for the product. It's certainly not going the direction of, of Microsoft word. But I think they do want to give it a little more power, and that's going to continue. I'm still missing some features. Uh, for instance, when I wrote the email book, I did it um, entirely in pages as an experiment, which, frankly, wasn't the best idea. I, I'm writing the, ne the new book right now in Scrivener, and it feels like wrapping myself in a warm blanket. Yeah, you've gone back home again? Yeah, but the um, but it was possible with the prior version of Pages because it had the outline mode, and using the outline mode, you can actually you know collapse things down and do work. Well, the outline mode is gone now. I miss that. I miss the two page view. That was kind of nice. Uh, but to be honest, I I use Pages and Keynote and Numbers almost every day. Yeah, and I have not felt the sting that a lot of people have written about with these applications. I'll tell you, I haven't either, and I, 
I understand the the loss of the outline mode, and that's problematic to people who, you know, begin, brainstorm, write, and end their documents solely in pages. But I'll tell you, I never found the outline mode to be particularly good. Uh, a friend of mine was trying to use pages exclusively in their outline mode to to outline kind of tasks and to create to do not to do lists, but you know, just it almost it, they were trying to use pages almost exclusively as an outliner. And I'll tell you, it was a horrible outliner. And you know, but they had it, and it was free, and they didn't want to use anything else. And there are so many better products that will do outlining. And I, I certainly understand, you know, not wanting to buy an additional product, but. I sent them over and, you know, downloaded the trial of, of Omni Outliner, and they never looked back. And I think just any other Outliner program would have been better than – I just – even compared to Microsoft Word, I never thought the outlining mode was that good. And I think what Pages does and what it focuses its core competency on, it does very well. And I know that this is a word processing so, show, so not to go too far afield, but – in my opinion, Pages is really two programs in one. You've got the basic word processor, but then you've got a a, a fairly, a really good desktop publishing. I mean, it's certainly not on the level of Adobe InDesign or anything like that, but if you want to put together a newsletter or if you want to put together a flyer or any, you know, any type of thing like that, you're going to be able to do that with Pages. Yeah, I'd agree with you on the desktop publishing. I mean, for instance, in my day job, we have a newsletter we send out to clients because you know, there's a lot of people who don't want this stuff in email still. I know I wrote the book on paperless. Don't, don't judge me. But uh, we print them out, and so we have newsletters, and I do those in pages every couple months. Yeah, I think recently I had to do a um, a flyer for one of those pancake breakfast fundraiser types thing. Boom, there yeah. was a there was a template in Pages, and I'll tell you when I have to send somebody like a one off invoice. I I know I know their invoice and billing services and things like that. But if I have to just send a simple one off invoice, I'll usually pick one of the templates in Pages. They're far superior to some of the others, and send it off, and it's done. Yeah, and I'm not going to apologize for it because I frankly kind of get what they're doing and I'm very curious to see where they go with it. If it's not powerful enough for you, um, not only are we going to talk about Word, we're going to talk about Nisus later, which I think is an amazing uh, program, which just to tease it a little bit. Um, yeah. uh, but I would like to go to pages. The, the nice things I like about the new version, and I think there's some stuff in there that really is innovative or at least different and uh, an improvement. Uh, I am done with these slide out drawers and applications. Yeah. You know, I, I don't like them because uh, working on a laptop, it's always difficult. And then, you know, they're, 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 they've slid out for a while. And by that, what I'm talking about is those things on the right or the left side of the screen that the, just slide out with tools on them. The modal windows, I think is what they're called or. No, they're not modal. No. A modal implies something that takes over the screen and you can't click in the background, but these, they're called drawers, I think, is the user interface element, okay. where you push a button and the side slides out. And it was very popular in Mac apps for a long time, and Pages used to have that, and the new version doesn't. Instead, it's got a fixed inspector on the right side of the screen that you can make appear or disappear by clicking on a button. And when it's there, it's in the same place, and it doesn't move. And I much prefer that. In fact, the Omni Group did the same thing with the new version of Omni Graffle and Omni Outliner. And I, I think it's a better interface. And this is something that they brought to the new iWork suite. Yeah, I think you see Apple really try to set the tone uh, in their apps that that they perhaps don't mandate, but perhaps are are, are subtly suggesting 
that other developers consider following. Yeah. This, well, my this my is friends be at Omni tell me that Mavericks. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, my, my friends at Omni tell me that they had betas out of their applications long before anybody saw Apple doing it. So they feel like, you know, Hey, Apple we stole had from them. To. There you go. <laughs> uh, I don't think they think that, but, uh, you know, I think they're proud of the fact that they knew which direction things were going. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the minimal toolbar, I think, is really nice. When you're in pages, you don't get that cockpit mentality that you get with Word. Um, stability is another thing. Um, I have trouble with Word and stability, and I'm using the version of Word 2011, whereas I don't with, with pages. I, I've never had it seize up on me or anything, and it does that autosave. And versioning um, now, yeah. 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 Well, probably the strongest features of Pages and the biggest reason to use them is the collaboration, and maybe collaboration is not the best word, but the, the way that it syncs between the Mac and iOS, and sometimes doesn't so much between the collaboration with, uh, I want to say iWork.com, but I know that's not right anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. So, iCloud Sync. Yeah. I want to talk about that a little bit, but um, before we do, I want to talk a, take a quick break and talk about uh, maybe one of our sponsors for this episode. And so I want to talk a little bit about Drobo. Um, David, you know, you and I had the opportunity to go see Drobo at Macworld uh, just a couple couple of weeks ago now. And at, at Macworld, they launched version three of their classic Drobo. And it was it was kind of exciting to see the brand new product launch and all of the excitement over Drobo. We had a little talk over at the Drobo booth and a, we had a bunch of people come over. So thank you to all of you who actually came out and, and heard you talk. And, you know, we talked about some of the reasons why you and I both love Drobo and have been Drobo users for so long. Um, you know, Drobo has this beyond raid technology. And the first place I ever saw this was with Drobo, the way that they implemented it. So you you take your Drobo, whether it's 4-bay or whether it's 5-bay, and you start feeding it drives. Um, you start with at least two. So if you've got a couple of spare drives laying around the house, you can pop them in. And then as your storage needs grow, you can go ahead and pop more drives in. So for example, my, my current Drobo, I've got a couple of one terabyte drives in there and I've got a couple of one and a half terabyte drives and it's starting to get full. I'm running at about, uh, 500 gigabytes or so free. So I, I know I'm, I'm coming up on needing to put some more space in there. But the good news is, is that Drobo supports all the new modern hard drives and you can now get hard drives. I think you can get them even higher, but you can get them pretty standard up to about four gigabytes. So I'm, I'm looking at some three terabyte drives on Amazon. I've been tracking the prices and they're coming down. So I'm going to buy two of them and then pop out one at a time, pop out a drive, pop in the new four terabyte drive into my Drobo. It will rebuild itself automatically to probably take overnight or over the course of a day or something. And then once it's done, it will let me know that it's very user friendly. The lights will flash green, yellow, red, and there's even a key on the back of the, the front plate that will tell you what that all means. And then I'll pop in the other drive and then boom, I've, I've expanded all the storage in my Drobo, and that'll probably last me another couple of years until I, I need to expand the storage again. But I don't have to go buy four new drives for my Drobo. I can pop them in one at a time as my storage needs change. And the new Drobo, the new Drobo version 3, is the most affordable Drobo ever. It is a four-bay Drobo. It's a classic Drobo. Um, and it's also one of the fastest Drobos ever because they have now upgraded it to bring USB 3.0. So it gives you all of the great expandability and all of the great support of the Beyond RAID technology, which means all of your data is redundant on those drives. So if you have a drive failure and you lose a drive, um, you can you can pop out a drive and pop another one back in, no problem. Um, so those are. I mean, have you ever you had a drive die, didn't you, David? Yeah, I did. I had a um, 
<laughs> I almost hate to admit it. We had a power surge. Ah. It's the only one I think we've ever had, and it, it blew out a drive in my Drobo. And um, I uh, I pulled it out. I replaced the drive. It rebuilt it, and I didn't lose any data. Yeah, I thought those didn't happen to you. Yeah, I know. I, I'm hearing more and more about that that conversation. It's only going to get worse. I know. Yeah, I think I'm going to just have to go buy one so everybody leaves me alone. Yeah. Anyway, so the new Drobos, um, it's got four drives. So you can have that drive redundancy. It also has enhanced support for Time Machine. So um, I've got Time Machine running on my Drobo. You can you can allocate to the Drobo exactly how much space you want um, on your Time Machine drive. I've got mine set up for a terabyte. You can add more. You can add less, depending on what your needs are. And I will tell you that I have noticed no difference in backing up to my Drobo as a Time Machine than I have backing up to a more traditional Time Machine drive, except the Drobo is actually faster, believe it or not. So you can find, uh, they've got other products too, whether you want a 5D to go with Thunderbolt, whether you want a Drobo N to go with network attached storage, you can find all of the information over at Drobo.com. And when it comes time to buy, let them know that, that we sent you. And so uh, thanks again to the kind folks at Drobo for their continued support of Mac Power users. So with Pages, it's easy to kind of confuse collaboration and multi-platform in my mind. And Multi-platform is the ability to use the application on multiple platforms. And I think they've done a really good job of that, especially with this new you know, code base they've, they've built. So using iCloud Sync, it's, the documents are appearing both in Pages and on your iPad. So it, it just works. Have you had any problem with that? Um, only when I forget to put something on the Internet. Yeah, I'm definitely getting sick. I can feel it as the show goes on. <laughs> so just hang in there with me, everybody. But, yeah. um, so, so the way it works is you can save to your iCloud. You know, you can save to your desktop or anywhere in your drive that you want, but you also have the ability to save to iCloud. If you do that, the document automatically appears on the other platform. And that's what really drew me with the email book to try to do the whole thing in pages. Because I just love the idea of being anywhere in the world and pulling out my iPhone out of my pocket and using Siri to dictate text or being in a coffee shop and doing it on my iPad or being at my desk and doing it on my Mac. And Scrivener just doesn't offer that right now. It does let you sync text, but it's not the same thing as having the exact file open on different platforms. Yeah, and it's just magical the way that it happens. It happens in the background. It happens almost instantaneously. Now, I do not use particularly large documents, and I know when you were working on a book, those those can get to be pretty large documents. Were you noticing any kind of lag in the sync? I mean, when I'm doing just a couple of page documents here and there, it, to me it appears instantaneous. I think it does the delta. I don't think it does the whole file because it was happening pretty fast. At the end, it was about 50,000 words. That's not a huge document. That's a big document, but I mean... Uh, so it's not big enough for me to say it's really stress tested, but it's great for simple things for work or for home. And it's really nice still being able to open those anywhere. All right. Now, you and I have tried the iCloud collaboration. And, and in full disclosure, we only tried it once. And we tried it, I think, the week or so after the iCloud collaboration just came out. And we said that that would be the last time that we would be using iWork. Um, for iCloud collaboration. Again, I keep wanting to call it iWork.com. No, it's iCloud uh, collaboration for iWork and pages. And we just switched over to Google Docs for that. And I know we've, we shared the keynote that we did at, uh, at Macworld initially that way, and then we switched over to Dropbox. But my understanding is that the iCloud collaboration still needs a good bit of work. 
Yeah, and maybe we should try it again. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is, it's got so much more to it than a Google Docs. And I, guess, Google Docs, I guess we should back up and kind of mention what the iCloud collaboration is and how it's different from just plain sync. Yeah, so if you have a document on your Mac, you can share it via iCloud with somebody else who doesn't even have to have pages installed. They can log on through the website. And then there's a web version of these apps, including pages. So you go in there, you can open the document, you can make changes to it, you can change the typography, add text, do whatever you want. And theoretically, the person who created the document can also make changes at the same time. Apple did a really great demo on this when they first announced it. That got me very excited. Yeah, Eddie Q did this demo. With it was it was pretty funny. Yeah, well, it was it was a nice demo, and what was most impressive to me was that they were both simultaneously changing, and the changes were showing up immediately on the other person's screen, and that hasn't been my experience. It seems like it takes a while. Sometimes it was even prompting me to to confirm changes so it could drive them back to the other person. And, you know, that's just not as seamless as Google Docs are. It's also not as pretty, and it doesn't have as many features. Um, so, it, you know, there's some kind of happy medium in there. But yeah. for the kind of collaboration you and I do, like on a show outline, Google Docs makes more sense. Well, the other thing to note about the um, iCl- the beta support of Pages as part of iCloud is that it's just it's not just for collaboration. I should mention so anything that you have saved in iCloud for Pages is saved up to your iCloud.com website or up up to iCloud, which means you can access it by going to iCloud.com. So if you're on someone else's computer or if you're on a computer that's not your normal Mac or even a computer that is not a Mac, I guess we should be specific. You can be on your PC at the office or or anywhere else, and you can go to iCloud.com and get access to all of those pages documents that you have saved to iCloud, make changes, edit them, share them, save them out to um, you know PDF or save them out to Word documents. So it's it's really a way for it, it's it's a mobile version of Pages that you can have access to anywhere, which is some pretty powerful feature too. Yeah, which I hardly ever use. Okay, well. Well, that's, that's probably because you use a Mac everywhere. I mean, you have a Mac at the office, a Mac at home. Yeah, and an iPad. And an iPad, right. But I think for people who maybe don't have access to a Mac everywhere, yeah, it'd be nice to be able to grab that. that do- and I keep a couple of documents in pages that I reference frequently for that for that very reason. The other nice thing is if you had one of these like really cheap PCs, you could still have pages. Just run it from the web. Yeah. And it, that's- it's not bad. It certainly wouldn't bad. be the ideal experience, but you but you could. You could muddle through. Yeah. Well, final thoughts on Pages before we move on. I think it's a great app. Um, it's more stable than Word, in my opinion. It's not as feature-rich. And, and if you can get by with the reduced feature set, then you're probably okay using Pages. It's free. I mean, why not? Yeah, my final thought on Pages is I like it. I like where it's going. It, it wouldn't work as my only word processor just simply for the day job, but I would encourage people, if you if you don't have the requirements in your personal life where you have to use a full, where you have to use Microsoft Word, and I would encourage you to try it, and because you probably don't need to use Microsoft Word for everything you think you need to in your in your regular life. Maybe you do, but you'd be surprised what you can get by with pages. 
Yeah, you know, I think with us, and this is a good transition over to Word, um, both of us have day jobs where we need Word because the business we're in, almost everybody's using it. We're exchanging documents constantly. And while these applications that we're talking about other than Word can open and save Word documents, there's always some kind of pain point when you do so. And especially if they're complicated documents, there's always some kind of issue. Um uh, the biggest one for me is track changes. Like I think that the interface for track changes on pages is superior to that of Microsoft Word. But that doesn't change the fact that 95% of the people I deal with have never heard of pages. They only use Microsoft Word and they're tracking changes in Word. And it makes a lot more sense for me to use Word as well on documents that I'm going back and forth with them on. Yeah. So do we want to take a quick break before we move on to Microsoft Word? Yeah, let's let's. We've got a new sponsor that I'm kind of excited to talk about. It's um, it's MacPaw with their new well with their software Clean My Mac Two. Um, Clean My Mac Two is something that I bought last year at MacWorld, not this year, but last year, and I've been using it ever since. I think it's just a great application. I mean, we've always talked about on our utility shows how we're trying to constantly kind of keep our drives clean and get the cruft out of our system, but there's always that fine line about when do you get too aggressive and end up screwing up your computer and you have to spend two days rebuilding it because you deleted one little file. I mean, I, I have that sickness. I can say that I've gone there, <laughs> you know, and, uh, I think clean we've my all Ma- gone there. well, clean my Mac. When you buy a copy of clean my Mac, it's like having your own little private, you know, genius there with you saying, no, 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 don't do that. Uh, so it's, it's a very easy to use application. Anybody can use it no matter what their level of sophistication are. It will go through and analyze your computer and then it'll remove da- data. And here's the important word safely. They have a rule based system that looks at the stuff that you may want to throw out. They've been working on this for five years. So they've got this five-year database of what can stay on a Mac and what cannot. And so it's going to find the problem files and not let you delete those, but it will get rid of the rest. Um, There's no other app with anything like this in terms of this history and this rule system. So it finds more junk than a competition, but it also uh, does a better job of making sure you don't throw away something that's key or essential to you. It cleans all your trash cleanse, including your Aperture and iPhoto cans. I mean, you don't realize it, but every time you delete a picture in iPhoto, iPhoto, uh, you are not deleting that from your system. And if you shut down iPhoto and then you go and empty the trash on your Mac, uh, you still are not deleting that photo. You can't get rid of that until you go in iPhoto and, and delete the iPhoto trash can. I had a friend whose computer uh, filled up and she couldn't figure out why. And we went in iPhoto and there was like, you know, 50 gigabytes of deleted photos in iPhoto. So this will remove that for you. It'll take care of that for you. Um, I am totally sold on Clean My Mac. I, I just ran it and found 20 gigabytes. So 20 gigabytes of data that I could get rid of. So it, it's really quite impressive. In addition to being able to clean your Mac, it also helps you uninstall things. It's got a, a app and uninstaller built in. It's also got plug-in and widget removers, which is something I've never had before, which is kind of fun going through and finding some of those. So you can get it all at MacPaw.com. Go check it out. Clean my Mac too. It's easy to use, removes data safely, finds more junk than the competition, and makes your Mac clean and ready to go. Uh, one of the things I really like about this is they have, um, you can buy a license for yourself, but you can also gift a license right from their website. And frankly, I know a lot of people in my life that need this. 
because uh, they don't have the ability to go through and make any kind of logical determination about what they can and can't get rid of. And having this do it for them allows uh, me not to have to solve the problem that they're inevitably going to create. So it's pretty helpful that way, too. Uh, thanks, MacPaw, for supporting the Mac Power users. And head over to MacPaw.com and check out Clean My Mac 2. All right. It's time to talk about the elephant in the room. Oh, I don't know. I mean, is is Word really that bad? Well, there seems to be a, a lot of hate for Word. And I, I don't know. I, I, I don't hate Word. Um, it, it's a necessary tool. I couldn't do my job without Word. I couldn't function without Word. I think Word tends to get a bad rap, especially from the Mac community, because uh, you know, there's Microsoft tends to have this on again, off again relationship with Apple. Now, don't get me wrong. The there is the Mac business unit over at Microsoft, and I've met with some of those folks, and they are really cool Mac nerds. And some features of of Office and some features of Word have come to the Mac first before that they've come to the PC. I mean, those those folks in in the Mac business unit are are diehard Mac fans and they love the Mac and and they're doing great stuff over there. I mean, we talked about well, Ben Waldy doing all of, all of his automator support over there. But uh, you know, in other times, you know, we we have we have to play this game with, you know, Office for iPad and all this other stuff too. Well, you know, Word came to the Mac before it went anywhere else. It was originally a Mac application. I had forgotten about that, but you're right. Yeah, it started on the Mac. And it, and it was really good. I, I mean, we could have recorded this show. I was thinking today, we could have recorded the show in like the early 90s, and we'd still be talking about Nysis and Microsoft Word, because those were the two that were always interesting. And, and Word got really great. We got to 5.1, and then they tried to kind of unify it. And by then, that time, they were fully invested on the PC side, and it seemed like it got kind of terrible. And another time that Word got, I, I thought, got terrible was when Apple transitioned to the Intel chips. It seemed like it took them like four or five years to get that together. I remember using Word where I would type the letter on my keyboard on a, on a fairly new and modern Mac at the time, and there was a noticeable delay between the letter appearing on my screen, which to me is like a complete failure. I mean, what's the one thing a word processor does? Well, I type a letter and it appears on the screen. Well, if I type a letter and it doesn't immediately appear on the screen, then they failed at the one thing that I needed to do every time. Uh, but, you know, they, they've made progress. And now we're at Microsoft Office 2011 on the Mac. There's a lot of rumors that there's another one in the works. And I'd have to say that, that Word 2011 is is much better than what we've had in the past. Maybe that's a little bit of Stockholm syndrome because I still have a problem with this application crashing on me. And that's a, that's a big problem when I'm working on stuff for work. And sometimes I feel like it, I don't know why it does it. I mean, do you get crashes in Word? I do. I get a lot more hangs in Word, especially when I'm formatting things, when I'm changing something from plain text to bold or, um, yeah, I get, I get a lot of hangs and I'm like, oh, Gosh, did it hang or did it crash? Did it hang or it crash? I'm just going to sit here. Maybe I'll go get a cup of coffee and I'll come back. Okay. Oh, it's back. Okay. In fact, I keep telling myself, and maybe this is the week that I'll actually do it, that I need to set up a keyboard maestro macro to hit um, command S repeatedly whenever Word is open. It also doesn't use the autosave, which is pretty standard on the Mac now. And uh, to me, the crashes are quite often related to copy and paste, and I don't know why. Yes, that's true. That's very true. Um, but so I, so I get these crashes. So, you know, you don't want software that feels like it's connected 
to a long fuse and a stack of dynamite under your computer. And every time you turn it on, you light the fuse and you just hope you get everything done before it blows up on you. And sometimes Word feels like that to me. Sometimes I'll go two or three weeks and have no problem. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I will have a problem to such an extent that a lot of times I'll start work type word processing stuff in, in pages or Scrivener and I'll just send the text file to somebody else to deal with in Word. So I guess I shouldn't be too much of an apologist for Word because that's really not acceptable behavior from an application. Um, the the user interface um, has got a little better. They went to this ribbon thing a few years ago. And that's a, another thing people love to beat up on them over is this ribbon. But to tell you the truth, I think the ribbon's better than what preceded it, which was about you know 10,000 buttons across the top of my screen. Yeah, that's probably true, but... My my problem with Word is we've been on Word 2011 now for a long time. I mean, here we are in 2014 recording this, and I don't remember the exact date that it came out, but I, I bought it pretty soon thereafter. So this is a program that I am in every day that I use very frequently, and I still have to stop and think, where is that feature? Where can I find? How do I add the page numbers? How do I add the watermark? And sometimes I have to go up to this help menu and search for something because I just don't find the layout to be very intuitive. And it changes so significantly with every release of Word. It's like starting completely over again. And and maybe I, I'm just dense and I can't get it. But uh, No, you're not dense. I think it's almost an impossible problem because they've never taken a machete to the feature list. You know, they've got, I don't know how many years this application has been in development, but it's been a long time. And they just keep adding stuff and never taking stuff out. So then you give the user interface guy, say, okay, we've got 82 features in this application that need to be run out of the toolbar. Go get them, killer. (laughs) (laughs) What's this guy going to do? It doesn't matter who he is. I mean, you could have the best designers at Apple there, and they still aren't going to be able to make this work because it's just overwhelming. Um, boy, for someone who started this out saying, is it that bad? Well, maybe it is now that I think about it. But, you know, one of the reasons I'm feeling good about Word is I am really encouraged with this new iPad version. I talked about it on our live show at the end, and I've used it more since. And I'm I'm really kind of digging what they did on the iPad. Part of this may have been that I had such low expectations but I just had to do a contract with track changes in it, and today I did it on my iPad, and it worked just fine, and I emailed it back to the guy, and and everything was fine. And the user interface is quite nice, and they did take a machete to the features on the iPad. Now, let's let's talk a little bit, because I don't have an Office 365 subscription, so I'm using Word very limitedly on my iPad. and um, So talk a little bit about... Well, I do have an Office 365 subscription. I should I should expound on that. But I our office uses it only for for email, so we have a very limited subscription that doesn't extend to to all of the other features. So talk a little bit about the apps and what you can do with the basic. My understanding is with the basic apps, you can open anything. You just can't save and share it unless you have the actual Office 365 uh, subscription. So what can you do beyond that if you actually have the subscription? Well, you can. Without a subscription, you can read files, but you can't modify them. Right. Uh, with a subscription, you've got a working version of Word that was designed for a touch interface. And when when the when the Surface first came out, Adam Christensen and I went over and checked it out over at one of the local Apple stores, you know, from the MacCast. And 
And I was just laughing so hard because they, they put a full working version of Word on this computer that was underpowered to run it. So you had this real you know delay and gap. It was back to the old day where you type and things wouldn't show up immediately. And there's like a trackpad built in the keyboard, but the mouse would trail your finger because they just couldn't keep up. And they had these really small touch targets based on a mouse. And by that time, I'd been using an iPad for a while. And it seems to me like the obvious thing Apple got right with the iPad is say, build the whole thing around people using their fingers. So I thought, well, what are they going to do with this on the iPad? And frankly, they did a really good job. They have touch targets that make sense for an iPad. Um, they've got, um, it's got a lot of the features we need, but not all of them. It doesn't have, uh, I mean, it has track changes, for instance. Uh, it, I've got files. Sometimes I have files that are secure with clients where we lock them before sending them to each other. It opens those just fine, you know, requiring my password. So it's really quite a good implementation. If you if you're interested in it, I would encourage you to go online and look at some of the reviews. Uh, MacWorld did a really nice review, and they were actually very positive of it as well. Now to get it though, it's not that easy. Like Katie was saying, her office has bought her a copy of Microsoft Office or her Mac, or she bought her own. But yeah, I had to buy that's my own. not that's not good enough. If you want to use Word on the iPad, you have to be a 365 Office subscriber, which means you're going to pay $100 a year up front or $9.99 a month. Or if you're a student, it's $79 a month. There's a, I actually looked on Amazon, and you can buy a, um, a card to cash in a year's worth of Microsoft Office 365 for $67. I'm not sure if that's sketchy or not, but if it's not, that, that's a pretty good saving. Now, what do you get with Office 365 besides access for Word for iPad? Does that mean with my 365 subscription, I can have, I don't need, I didn't need to buy, I mean, I've already have, obviously, but um, I didn't need to buy Office 2011 for my Mac. It, I would be able to get access yes. to Office for my Mac as well. Yeah, you can download Office on five, I think it's five computers. So you could download it on your Office PC, the, the most recent version for the PC. You can download it on your Mac, the most recent version for the Mac. Even a couple Macs if you've got you know multiple computers. So it's basically a subscription service to Microsoft Office. Yeah, this, is, they, this is basically the Adobe model, the subscription yeah, model. I yeah, I think they priced it about right. I mean, if you're at home writing letters you know, for family stuff or even kind of a small business or something that doesn't require really fancy or heavy-duty formatting or working with other people in Word often, you're not going to need this. But if you're in business where you're constantly looking at documents that require Word, $100 a year is not overwhelming. Uh, so, you know, I guess you take it or leave it. But I need Word, and I'm very pleased that it's on my iPad. And they did a really good job with it. Uh, I could honestly recommend using it, which I I didn't think I didn't I just didn't think I'd be able to when I, when this was contemplated. You know, the other thing is this has been going on for so long. I think a lot of people have figured out other solutions uh, on their iPad where they don't need Office. Yeah, previously I've been using well. I've been using some of the other solutions. I think Office Squared was the most recent one that I was using. And then most recently, I've just been using Pages and then doing the, the Pages export. Did you have a um, an Office competitor on, on iPad that you were using that you recommend? Yeah, the, the, I like Documents to Go and I like Quick Office. And I kept switching back and forth. But for the last, I don't know, eight months or so, I think a Quick Office is the one that I've really been enjoying. Uh, documents to Go, I had been buying for years. I used to have that on my palm. Mm-hmm, yeah. 
Um, but the uh, but the Quick Office Pro, I felt like they got the interface a little better. I think Quick Office is actually owned by BlackBerry now, but I'm not sure. And there's still a place for these applications. I know that was a that was a big question at MacWorld this past year. Is is what's going to happen to all these developers who have been developing these these word processors that are compatible with Microsoft Word? What's going to happen to them? But you know, there there are still people who are going who are not going to want to buy an Office 365 subscription, and many people don't need one. Um, you know, I bought Office 2011. Again, whenever it came out, I, I don't remember the exact date, but let's just let's just assume it was in 2011. You know, so 11, 12, 13, 14. I've been using it for almost four years now. You know, in in my case, I bought the Home Edition, which was a three pack. So I've installed that on my home machine, um, my work machine, and my somebody else has a license. We won't talk about that. In my family, someone else in my family uses a license. So those are. Those would otherwise be two Office 365 subscriptions that we would have had to pay for um, over over the course of four years. I mean, that's eight hundred bucks. I've I've well, if I've done my math right, we've we've well gotten our two hundred and twenty five dollars. We've you know two hundred twenty five dollars was a better deal for us. Yeah, I guess the question is, does that other person actually need an Office subscription? Probably not. No. And. The other question is, you know, do you need it? And and you do, but there's a lot of people, I think, that are using it that don't. Yeah, I think uh, for the casual home user who has decided that they need Office, so long as Office will continue to sell a standalone version, which I think it's questionable whether they will in the next release um, for Mac. I don't know that they, they – it may not be an option, David. Either that or it will be very high-priced. Yeah. It seems like there's kind of two categories of people out there. There's the kind of people that would do anything they can not to use Office. And I'm, I'm really borderline there, to tell you the truth. I mean, I very often when I do big projects at work, and I talked about this in the Scrivener show something like five years ago. I don't know how long it will go as we did the Scrivener show. But um, I just wrote a very large brief for a case I'm working on. And... It, it was very complicated, and I wrote the whole thing in Scrivener. And at the end of the day, uh, when I had everything the way I wanted in Scrivener, I block and copied it and pasted it into Microsoft Word, and I sent it to somebody in the office and said, "Okay, now make it, you know, into the format that you need to make it into." You know, in legal, you have to do pleading paper and all this other stuff, and I didn't have anything to do with it, so I I managed to write a very long project without ever touching Word. And the document did inevitably get there, and when it came to me for additional corrections, somebody else was making them. But boy, I go—I really do go out of my way not to use Word. See, I'm not that way. I, I believe in using the best tool, the the tool that you're the most comfortable with, uh, that gets the job done. And you know, here's here's the classic example uh, of that. Um, you know, in, in my family, my immediate family. My brother's a teacher, and they have actually gotten away in the school system from from using Word. So he uses a lot of Google Docs now. But sure, they don't want to pay for the license. Yeah, so they've gotten away from that. So he doesn't use Word very much, and he really doesn't have a need for it. Um, my dad is a realtor, and in his world, you know, they're exchanging contracts and they're exchanging documents back and forth in Word. Um, so because of the collaboration with other people, that's what he needs. Now, my mom is a nurse, and she doesn't bring much work home. She does um, some writing, and she's writing articles now and um, doing some additional things, but she doesn't really bring a lot of work home. So the work that she does at home on her Mac, um, she's either doing supplemental writing where she's writing articles, 
um, or she's doing personal work. She doesn't need Word, but that's the tool that she's comfortable in because that's the tool that she uses all day at work. So for her, she was comfortable using Word, and I said, that's fine. We can get you Word for Mac if that's what you want to use, if you're comfortable with that. She didn't want to mess with the exporting to Docs and, and all of that. She she certainly could, and it wouldn't be that much of a hassle, and she's certainly capable of it. But, you know, Word works for her. Well, see, and your mom kind of feels uh, falls into that second category. The first category is the people who try to avoid it, and then there's the other category, people who kind of embrace it and use it. And I don't think there's that many people like that listening to our show because anybody who gets somewhat savvy with computers just doesn't want to carry around that much baggage, uh, which is what brings me back to this iPad app. Cause I was just looking at it while you were talking about your mom's uh, plight and I just can't get over how nice the interface is. I mean, what if they put this application or something very similar to it on the Mac? You know, I might be more tempted to use it, to be honest with you. Uh, so uh, I guess the moral of the story, if you're out there and you have any interest in this stuff, go look at some screenshots of what they've done on the iPad. And it's, it's some of the best work I've seen from a Microsoft product in some time, in my opinion. And I've been using it. It's been stable. I mean, as much as you can test something over two weeks. Uh, there are some limitations. Uh, you can make adjustments to styles, which is great because I use those all the time and stuff that I write for work-related stuff. You can't add new styles on the iPad, so you'd have to do that on your Mac or your PC. Um, there are some font issues. I notice if you use any kind of font that is not already installed on Word on your iPad, you're going to have trouble. That being said, they do bring in a whole bunch of the Microsoft you know, font family, so if you stick with the Microsoft stuff, you're okay. But that would also require you to stick with the Microsoft stuff. Yeah. Um, final I, I thoughts. A, I have a basic question. I, I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to this. How yeah. do, how do you sync your stuff back and forth? Does it have iCloud support? I mean, Microsoft Word well, on the Mac doesn't. How do you get your stuff back and forth? Well, they, they have. Um, you can open from an email. Um, they also have Microsoft, and I believe the word now is OneCloud. They, they've changed the name. It, it oh, SkyDrive. it used to be SkyDrive. I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, and now they call it OneCloud, which is kind of a, a mix somewhere between iCloud and Dropbox. Does Dropbox because, work? Uh, no. Oh, I was no. going to say, I would just Well, actually, that, but... it would work. It would work. I haven't tested it, but now that I think about it, the open-in dialog box works. So if I had a Dropbox Word document and I open it in Dropbox application and said open in Word, it would work. I haven't tested that, but I'm, I can't imagine why it wouldn't if I can open one from an email. But it doesn't automatically sync through Dropbox, whereas it automatically syncs through OneCloud. Got it. And you get a OneCloud account with your 365 subscription. I'm more excited about Word on the iPad than I am on the Mac right now. But I know they're coming out with a new version. Maybe they'll fix... I mean, the crashing problem to me, I just can't get over it. Um... I, so final thoughts on, on Word are, um, it's, it is the king of multi-platform. It's on the Mac, the PC, Windows Mobile, iOS. I don't think they're on Android yet, but I, I can't imagine they're going to put that off too much longer if they're on iOS. Um, it's, I, I have some real problems with the stability of the Mac application. Uh, I think the, the bottom line with Word is use it if you have to. <laughs> How's that sound? That's not very good, is it? But if, if you have to use it, sometimes that's the only tool that works, then I would use it. But if you don't have to use it and you can get away with pages or our next application we're going to talk about, um, I think you're better off. All right. So you 
you seem to be very mixed. You tolerate, I'll say, Word on the Mac, but you seem very excited about Word on iOS. Um, I'm excited about the idea that I can be in a coffee shop with my iPad and another lawyer can send me a contract with track changes on it and I can make changes to it on my iPad and send it back to him reliably. That's something I've never been able to do. Some of these other applications have track change features in it, but they don't work nearly as well as the way Microsoft has done it. And none of them, if you look at, if you compare the, some of these other competing office applications, they just aren't, they aren't as well laid out as Microsoft Word is. So th- that's the part that gets me kind of excited. Yeah. All right. Well, since we're done with Office, I think we need to take a quick break and, and decompress here. And while we do that, I want to talk about our next sponsor, and that is our good friends over at 1Password. And I don't know if you subscribe to the 1Password blog. It's over at blog.agilebits.com. But you really should. And it's one of the blogs that's in my RSS feeds. And they give you a lot of good information because, David, I don't know if you know this, there's some really smart people over at 1Password. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> I met a bunch of them a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it seems like every couple of weeks we're getting word of yet another vulnerability. And, of course, the one that's in the news right now as we record the show and hopefully will be resolved by the time the show actually publishes is the heartbeat bl- heart bleed bug. And essentially, from my understanding of that, and I'm certainly not a security expert, although the folks over at 1Password have made a very comprehensive blog post that they keep updating as more information comes out. It's uh, my understanding of it is it's a, it's a vulnerability in um, certain in the open SSL certification where certain websites um, have used this implementation. And there's this vulnerability that when you put information into your website and, and, you know, I'm not going to name names or call anybody out, but normally when you put information in, let's say your bank's website, or you send information securely over IMAP that's encrypted by SSL, that information is all encrypted so that it can't be intercepted. And this vulnerability basically allows somebody to skim all of that information that would otherwise be encrypted. And it's pretty scary. And we've, we've always talked about, you know, well, the, one of the best things that you can do for security is to have uh, unique passwords that you do not repeat and that you do not use across multiple websites. And while, Having a unique password doesn't necessarily prevent you from becoming a victim of this bug. Um, it can certainly help with the cleanup, and it can certainly help with some of the aftermath. And that is kind of the process that the folks at 1Password have walked you through. And we'll put a link to this blog post in the show notes. Um, not only talking about this bug and talking about the fact that, you know, hey, just having a strong, unique password for this site isn't going to particularly help you in this case, you know, but it can help you for the aftermath. You know, once we find out how big the, and how widespread this is and who has been affected hopefully you know these companies who have been affected will do the right thing and say yeah you know our site was one if if you logged in between this time period and this time period it's probably a good idea to change your password but having those strong unique passwords for all of your sites and having a password manager like one password is going to make it a lot easier to change your password so for example david you know in one password i changed this recently because of one of our shows i have a, a folder called red alert 
And inside that folder, I have all of what I would consider my mission-critical passwords. My bank password, my Dropbox password, my iTunes password. You know, I've probably got a dozen or so of my most important passwords. And once all the hysteria over this OpenSSL thing is over, once this is patched, and once that patch has been rolled out, I'm going to go and I'm going to immediately change every single password on all of those sites. And an app like 1Password makes it very easy to go through that list, see when a password was last changed, go to that website, log in, change my password, and then 1Password will pop up and say, hey, uh, you put in a new password for this website. Do you want to save a new password or do you want me to update your existing login? I'll click update. It'll probably take me less than 10, 15 minutes to update all of the passwords to all of those various sites. So, you know, again, just because having a good password doesn't necessarily protect you from all of these bugs, having a unique password that you use across all of these multiple sites means that if one of your passwords gets compromised, it doesn't mean that your entire life gets compromised. So, and it, yeah, and it also gives you a mechanism to go and change them all very quickly with good secure replacements. Right. Right. So definitely check out the Agile blog. Jeff went out there and and wrote a post that he's continuing to update as more information is available. Hopefully by the time this show is posted, um, most people will have patched and this will kind of be over. And I'm sure they'll continue to provide additional information. But uh, it's just a great resource. Um, If you're not using 1Password, this is probably a good time to start thinking about that. Uh, You can pick up 1Password for $49.99 for the Mac or the PC. Uh, It's available either as a direct download from their site or through the Mac App Store. If you're a switcher, if you use a PC by day and a Mac by night or vice versa, you can also get a Mac and Windows bundle that you can save $20 by purchasing both. You can get both for $69.99. And of course, don't forget about 1Password from iOS that will sync all of your passwords and all of your other information stored. That is a hybrid application for all of your iOS devices, and it's available in the the iOS App Store for $17.99. So you can find more information at 1Password.com. Be sure to check out their blog and learn about this heartbleed blog thing. It's kind of scary. And thanks to 1Password for not only supporting our show, but just keeping the Mac community safe and informed. I noticed that your list is called um, Red Alert. It is called Red Alert, yes. It's not called DEFCON 5. No, that's what yours is called. Did you know that the the wonderful Incomparable podcast, which is also on our beloved 5x5 network, just did a show on war games? <sighs> of course they did. It's a great, it's two hours. I think the show was longer than the movie. <laughs> I'm like halfway through it, and it's awesome. It's golden. I think, Katie, you should watch the movie and then listen to Jason explain. Maybe. I'll I'll put that on my list. You're not going to watch it. Mm -hmm. Okay. When we were prepping the show, I've for years, I remember back a long time ago, I used to work with Nisus. It was just called Nisus back then, I believe, N-I-S-U-S. And then it got kind of bad and there was issues and then, you know, Apple, when OS X came out, it really had issues, and it kind of disappeared. And then it reappeared a few years ago as Nicest Writer. Um, you know what? It's I, I downloaded a copy, so I've been using it for like 14 days. I'm almost out of my free trial period. And this is an amazing word processor for the Mac that I, I knew of but didn't really know of. Yeah, I had an attorney friend of mine who used the old version of Nicest, 
and they, as you said, there was a there was a period of time there I think where development lagged, and and he kept around, and I don't remember what the machine was, but it was the oldest machine where you could still boot into OS nine, because he was convinced that that was the best version of Nisus available, and he bought like four of those machines for his office, and I said, well, I get it. I said, I get it. I said, what are you gonna do? And he said. One of, when those machines die, he said, one of two things will happen. They will update it, or I will retire. <laughs> well, it is, it's is—it's like the Colt word processor for the Mac. And and they updated it. And I, I, I saw him at a bar function um, last month, I think. And I asked him, I said, I see you're still working. Did did you uh, update your Nisus? And he said, yes, he did. And he was very happy with it. Yeah, so they, they're out with version 2.0 now. And... Um, so I know several people that swear by it and I had never really spent time with it because to be honest with you, I, I just don't spend that much time in word processors, even though we just have done an hour and a half show on it. Uh, I, I prefer to write in text when I can, but Nisus is a really great word processor. Have you tried it? Um, not much. I mean, I downloaded the demo years ago and played around with it. Download it again and try it. Um, so the, there's a the couple re- things I like. Yeah, I was going to tell you, the reason that everybody in the legal community at least wanted to use it um, is because they had all their forms loaded in Nisus. And it had this great um, fill and replace capability. And you could you could color code things. And so you could take a will and you could t- make all the he's, the she's, and, and you could color code it. And that's why the attorneys loved it so much. It's nuts. They have a whole macro language around the software. And the same thing with the search engine. I The search and replace, I've never seen anything like it. Um, it's got the usual things, you know, table of contents, footnotes, endnotes, and all the stuff that you normally want out of a word processor. But, man, it, it really delivers on some of the interesting little features that you wouldn't normally think of. Um I, I've only been using it a couple of weeks, and to be honest with you, I'm probably going to buy it just because I'm so impressed with what they've done. I just am not in a place where I have a lot of use for it. Um, one of the issues I have is, you know, it's a, it's a single platform. It's you know, it's on the Mac, and I really like the idea of multi-platform. It does RTF and it does open and save Word documents, but then once again, you're going between different applications. And if you're going between different applications, formatting with word processing document always takes some kind of hit. But if I was just working on my Mac, I think this would be my choice. Yeah, and I, like I said, I know several attorneys who have, have used it just because of the find and replace and the macro support. And that's what they run their practice on. The, the interface also, it kind of feels retro, but it kind of feels retro in a good way. It reminds me of kind of the old days of using when, when there was a Word, Word 5.1 and a Nisus. It's very, um, it's, it, I don't want to say simple because it's not, the, the features aren't simple, but the interface is, is nice. Yeah, and it, it does have drawers, which, you know, I'm as I said earlier, I'm kind of done with drawers, but it has these slide-out drawers. And, you know, it's it's not looking as modern as... Yeah. As pages. I'm not sure. I guess it and Word, are, they're just kind of their own beasts. They don't really follow the kind of the modern guidelines. But, but man, uh, the, the macro language, I mean, all the nerdy stuff that I like is in here. And I haven't used it enough to really give it a full review. But I can already see things I could do with this that, that I wouldn't be able to do with Word or pages. Mm-hmm. Like this would be an interesting one if you wanted to write a book in a word processor. This I think would be the one to do it in. Does it worry you that there haven't been frequent upgrades? 
Well, this uh, what is when's the last update out on ISIS? I have well, there there has been a recent one, um, but there was kind of this lull in development for a while. I'm just well. I mean, but they've got I a mean, recent one. Yeah, I mean they've been they've been back. I mean, ISIS dates back all the way to 1983. Well, I think that at some point it was kind of gone to seed, but it doesn't appear to it has any more. Yeah. In fact, if you go on their website, they'll give you a complete timeline of everything that has happened since 1983. And it does seem that there has been, you know, pretty pretty consistent, you know, updates. I mean, Nicest Writer Pro was at version 1.0 up until 2011 when when version 2 was released on May 19th of 2011. It's an interesting it's an interesting application. I to a certain extent, it, you know, the fact that it's not multi-platform is a problem for me. Yeah, and there's really no iOS compatibility other than, you know, RTF and moving it around that way, right? Yeah, but, I mean, that's pretty compatible. But yeah. at the same time, I think, like I said, if I was going to fully invest on a big writing project on the Mac, on the Mac, and not going to be needing to put it on my iPad on a routine basis or share with somebody in Word, I would go with Nicest Writer. They've, they've got a, a change tracking in here. One of the things I forgot to mention was when I write my books, I always put the the text into um, in pages, and then I use change tracking with my editor through pages. So even though I write the book in Scrivener, at the end it kind of moves into a pages phase for a little while before it goes into iBooks Author. Yeah, and you've talked uh, about that process before. Once it goes into pages, it never goes back. And maybe, you know, the next time I might buy my editor a copy of Nisus, and we'll both work through Nisus. Yeah. So just out of curiosity, going through that process, you know, you go to, you, you know, you do the, the mind map, and then you do the outline, and then you do the Scrivener, and then you finally go to pages for track changes, and then and then you go to to uh, iBooks Author. I know you've been, been doing some updates, um, most recently to Paperless. I think you're at version 1.4 now. Is that right? You're just a pretty significant yep. update. Um, yeah. and, and at some point, not asking you to spill any secrets, um, you'll come out with version 2.0, which will be a more significant change, I would presume. Yeah. Not to be too presumptuous. Um, but how do you see that going? I mean, when, when you actually do a significant rewrite, to, like a second edition. Uh, to go to a second edition. How I'd do you see that process working? I'd probably just start over again in Scrivener. So would you just do a block copy out of Pages and into Scrivener? Or? Or, no, well, Pages is no longer gospel. The gospel now is an iBooks author. Oh, okay. okay. So I'd, I may block copy some pieces out of iBooks author, but I'd also probably rewrite a significant portion of it. Uh, you know, you know the, my, my current white whale of software is the iPad version of Scrivener. Which I I know they they keep updating their blog and I know that there's something in the works but you know it's not here yet. I I hey, remember you know, some crazy guy went out and bought him an iPad when that was first released and shipped it to him saying, "Please, sir, make well, me an iPad version of Scrivener." <laughs> so Keith, uh, the guy who develops Scrivener, when the iPad came out, couldn't get it because they weren't in the UK. Right. He, it was it was his money. He paid for it. I didn't buy it for him, but Dang. I did. Don go McAllister to flew to New York to buy his. Yeah, I, I did go to the store, and I was his local agent, and that was my little bit to try and help him to get Scrivener. But the thing is, Keith loves his. I think he loves his MacBook Air so much that he wasn't really sold. But he's sold now. He's even got a separate developer working on it. And uh, reading their blog post, I think it's only a question of time before we start seeing something. Yeah, we've got another option that's. Uh, 
that's going to be a more economical than buying uh, Microsoft Office or Nicest Writer. But before we do that, I'd like to talk about our last sponsor. And that is lynda.com. I love lynda.com. I've been a subscriber for a long time. They have over 2,000 high-quality and engaging video courses taught by industry experts with courses added every day. I get that. In fact, I always look forward to the email I get from Lynda showing me whatever the new stuff is they have because I really enjoy watching these videos. And if you listen to our show, you're probably going to be just like me. You can learn everything from uh, creative software, software development, business school uh, skills, you know, how to make a resume, how to talk to people, uh, professional, how to help yourself with your professional goals, uh, how to build your own iOS app. They've got just about everything there, and it's all for $25 a month. With that subscription, you get unlimited access to the entire library. Uh, my sister-in-law, I've, I think I talked about this in a par- prior spot, but she wanted to get into um, uh, web design. So she's been coming over the house every once in a while and watching some of the lynda.com videos, and now she's getting really good at it. Uh, this is just a really great resource. And when you think about downtime, if you're like me, and downtime is sometimes learning time, this is really good investment of your of your time and money. They give you access to not only searchable transcripts, so you can quickly find information within a course, but it's also closed caption transcripts, so you can follow along with the video too. Lynda.com offers a variety of instruction courses for all levels that cover a wide range of technical skills. You can start from beginner or to advanced. They've got you covered. Another one is my wife uh, is getting into Google Analytics. You know, she's tr- trying to help some friends out with their websites. And she was figuring it out, but she didn't have it completely nailed. And so she watched the lynda.com courses on it, and now she's like a Google Analytics master. In fact, she's trying to bug me to get it on maxsparky.com, and of course you know I will never agree to that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, you can get get all this at lynda.com. They've got a bunch of courses. I was just looking at, before the show started, some... Uh, they've got a new course, Lightroom Mobile First Look. You know, they just came out with Lightroom Mobile. They've already got it in there. Uh, they have a, a whole course on the changes with a new iWork series. So the stuff we were talking about with iWork, you can get walked through that. They've got uh, one on intellectual property fundamentals. If you've always been wondering about patents and trademarks, you can learn that stuff. Uh, just about anything you can think of, they're adding to lynda.com. There's a whole lot of categories, and you should go check it out. Now, uh, if you want to go and make us look great at the same time, there's a special for Mac Power users, listeners. Uh, you get uh, access to the entire library free for seven days if you go to lynda.com slash users and you try and get the seven-day trial. If you want, you can just binge on it and watch them all and let it expire. I'm not going to tell anybody if you do that. Or if you get into it and you like it, go ahead and subscribe. But if you do it through that link, it makes us look great. So go check it out lynda.com slash Mac power users. Uh, thanks to Linda for supporting five by five and the Mac power users. So the solution that I added to the outline most recently, and it's, it's something that I suggest very frequently is open office. And it is the most economical of all the Well, maybe not more than pages now, but it is free. It is completely free. Uh, open office is open source office software, hence the name open office. And it's more than just word processing. That's what we'll focus on in this show. But it also includes uh, software for spreadsheets, for presentations, for doing simple graphics, databases, things like that. Uh, it is cross-platform, Mac or PC. 
And I have had, you know, many college students or uh, people come to tell me and say, hey, I, I really need to get software for my Mac or for my uh, computer to go to school, but I don't, you know, I can't afford to buy Office. And then ask me to point them in the direction of perhaps less than ethical means of acquiring said software. And I always point them to open office because I say, Hey, it's, it's free. It's ethical. It's legal. It's completely open source. And it will probably do everything that you need to do for basic word processing. Um, their word processor is, uh, if you look at it, I think you'd like the look, David, it's, it's retro. It's, it's not quite 5.1, but it, it has that same type of look to it. It's, um, it, it's, it's not candyized and stuff like that, but it gets, it gets the job done of what it needs to done. It, it definitely does not have a more modern look and feel, but it's, it's certainly not cluttered. Um, they do have support for most of the features that you're going to need. They'll do styles. Um, you can do some basic desktop publishing things with, with text frames. You can create table of contents. Um, it does have a multi-page display. Perhaps most importantly, it has support for both DocX. Is that how you say that? DocX? I don't know. That's how I say it. And uh, and doc files. Um, so they can read all of your older Microsoft Word documents or um, save your work in Microsoft Word for sending to people who are still using those. Um, you can also open DocX files created with Microsoft Office 2007, 2008, um, or for Mac. So I... I I'm, I'm, they claim that they have .dotx support, but it, it may not be complete full .dotx support because I think that's Microsoft's proprietary format. So um, check that out, and if you have special features in your your doc files, they may not work. But it, it's got pretty good doc support. Um, so like I said, the user interface feels dated, but it's it's pretty simple and easy to use. Um, I haven't had any problems with stability or or usability. It, I've I've tested it a little bit, and it it seems pretty solid as well. Um, I don't really have a need to run it because I do run Office and I do have pages. But for free, you can't beat it. Um, it has been years since I've loaded that on my Mac. So I just am totally out of touch with it. Yeah. Um, they don't have great great collaboration features. I mean, on one hand, you could argue that it's the best collaboration possible because they use an open format. Although I'll tell you it's an open format that, I mean, if you send somebody an open Office file, they're going to look at you kind of like you have three heads. Um, so... There you go. But you can some, cer- certainly save out to text or RTF or something like that. There was another one, another like open office similar program where they kind of made like a Mac user interface on top of the open office format. And it had, I remember it had Neo like a office. boat. Neo office. Yeah, it had like a boat in the icon. Yeah. I'm not sure if Neo uh, office is still around. Yeah. Uh, another one we really didn't cover because I don't really view it as a word processor, but I should at least mention it so we don't get, written about it is it is is google docs you know oh and i should say neo office is available uh, version 3.4.1 is now available with maverick support really and it's mm. and it's in the mac app store really huh well i should just check it out just for old times sake. i used to use that one um the uh but google docs i mean it's it's just an amazing collaboration tool but it, it's not a word processor in my mind well, I guess we go but. back to the question of what is your definition of a word processor? Yeah. Isn't a word yeah. processor by definition something that processes your words? Whatever, well, whatever to me, that it's means. something that, 
that has more layout tools and that gives you more ability to make an interesting-looking printed page than Google Docs does. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'll tell you, in the school system, in the public school system particularly, um, they've they've done pretty heavy reliance on, on Google Docs. All the teachers have Google Docs accounts. They've got Google Docs for education, I think. Um, and that's what they use, and that's what the kids use. And they send back and forth everything in, in Google Docs files. And you can print them, and you can save them, and, and all of that stuff. That's almost exclusively what my brother and um, and all of his friends who are in the education system here use. Now, that may not be true across all public school systems, but that's what ours here locally is adopted. Well, I think that's pretty common out in California, too, because, you know, the schools are broke right now. But, yeah. you know, looking at it, I guess I have to revise my statement because it does have image tools and drawing tools and page numbering and headers and footers. I mean, at what point is, I mean, isn't this just a word processor? Uh, I guess part of my, my hang up with that is you need an Internet connection for it to work. Yeah. I mean, you can install Google Drive on your Mac. Um, yeah. And you can, you know, you have some offline support there, but obviously you have to be connected at some point. So where where are we at at the end of this journey, Katie Floyd? We've been talking about word processors now for quite a while. What's the uh, what's the decision tree for you? I can tell you, mine would be if you need a word processor on the Mac, I'd start with Pages. You know, it's Apple's platform. It syncs very easily between your Apple devices. Um, it's 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 tenable to share it with someone on a PC through the web. And it's free and it's stable. And it's a pretty good-looking word processor. I think that's the first place I would go. I, I would agree. Start with Pages because it's there and it's free. But I would also say I'm not so anti-Word as, as you perhaps are. If if it's the tool that you're most comfortable with and it's the tool that you feel that you need for collaboration, go for it. Just understand that you're going to pay for it. And I'll be real curious to see if the next version of Pages for Mac has the option for you to buy it outright. And if you're a light user, if you're a casual user, that's probably going to be the best deal because you can probably buy it once and use it for the next two, three, four years. Um, if if not, then I don't know that it's worth $99 a year. You know, when, when you hit that pain point of having to pay $99 a year for something that you don't really need, uh, then you start looking at, well, how often am I doing this? And will Pages work? Will Google Doc work? Will OpenOffice work? I think if you're a business, it's a no-brainer. Um, having one project that you need to do in Microsoft Office and, and not having that work well, um, you got to do what you need to do for your for your business or for your work and, and get the tool that you need. And I would add to that, if you're doing it in Word 2011 on the Mac, save often. Command S. And if you have Word version 5.1, please send it to David. <laughs> uh, which, you know, like Tidbits a few years ago did an April Fool's um, post where they were going to release Word 5.1 for the iPad, and the whole internet went crazy. I think that wasn't it, this I think year, it was but just I, you. I, I think it was the whole internet. Okay, so if you really need Word, you go with Word. And I, I do have concerns about its stability, but overall, it's a pretty good word processor, except for the fact that it crashes. <laughs> I don't even know how to say that, Katie, with a straight face. Um, and then if you need a powerful word processor, more powerful than Pages, and you're willing to stay on the Mac platform, give Nicest Writer Pro a really good look, because there's just some things about Like, even the uh, keyboard shortcuts can use multiple keys. Like... SAP will be saved as PDF. I mean, that's pretty clever, you got to admit. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we have about appropriately hashed out uh, word processors. I do want to thank our sponsors for this episode. 1Password, 
Linda, Drobo, and Mac Paul with Clean My Mac. You can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode on our website at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Katie, guess what we forgot to talk about? I didn't forget. I just hadn't gotten there yet. Well, everybody's gone by now. We just signed off. Okay. Well, you tell them we that. Ha- I don't know if I should. I mean, it's really your baby, but, but we're now, we have presence on the Google yeah, we, we opened up a Google Plus community, and David promises that he will participate at some point, all evidence to the contrary. Um, I'm just kidding. He really will. Uh, but, you know, David and I, things really took off with MPU Live. We seem to have hit our stride with that. We figured out how the live stream worked. We're getting a lot of great feedback from people for MPU Live. So thank you, and please continue that coming. But we wanted another way to even continue that discussion offline. Uh, so we created a Google Plus community. Um, I can't tell you the URL because it's one of those big, long, ridiculous, gobbledygook Google URLs. But I'll tell you, you'll find a link in the show notes, and you'll find a link over on MacPowerUsers.com to our Google Plus community. And we've got, you know, dedicated discussion spots there for you can share your workflows, you can share tips and tricks, you can send feedback on the show, you can ask questions, and there's a spot for general discussion. And David and I will pop in and, and try to answer some of those and give you feedback. But but this is your community. This is designed for you guys to give feedback and for you to answer each other's questions so that we don't have to work so hard. And thank you, Katie, for taking the time to set this up and taking all that initiative. Yeah, my pleasure. It's kind of fun. And thank you, listeners, for putting up with me. I, you know, have you ever had one of those days where you you just slowly realize you're sick until it just occurs to you, yeah, I'm sick. That moment happened to me halfway between the, through the recording of the show. So yeah, I've been trying not to make too many noises. I'm hitting that shush button quite often. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to let you go to bed. Um, you can uh, send us feedback again for the live show or for anything else at feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Or we're on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd, or David is at Max Sparky. And with that, David is going to go to bed, and I will see you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>